This is the MG Car Club Podcast. This week, a college MGB restoration project with a difference. The MG Car Club Podcast. Hello, I'm Wayne Scott and welcome to episode 70 of the MG Car Club podcast. Hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying the sunny start to autumn that we seem to be enjoying and hope you also enjoyed the fantastic MG social gathering happening just around about the time when this podcast will be released. So I hope you all had a fantastic day and definitely having a fantastic day were all of those people that took part in the auto solo at the event and fantastic work by Noel Linford and his team to put on an auto solo that gave people a real introductory taster of what auto testing in the MG Car Club is all about. The results in Class A, which is for cars between 1924 and 1980, was uh, Ian Webb taking first place in his midget, second place went to Malcolm Clark in his midget, and another midget taking third at Max Authors. Class B for post-1980 MGs was won by Mike Angwing in his MGF. Second place was Richard Froggart in a ZT260. And third was Helen Blake in her MGF, who also scooped the prize for fastest lady. Well done to everyone who took part. Well done to everyone who put it on, all the volunteers that make auto testing in the MG Car Club so brilliant. MG Motor have been busy as well this week and they've pulled the wraps off the brand new MG ZSEV, which arrives in the brand's dealerships from November this year. It's boasting a range of 273 miles between charges and the renewed model builds on the success of the existing ZSEV, which is the brand's best-selling pure electric model and a consistent fixture among the UK's top 10 best-selling electric vehicles. All of that has also added to the fact that MG are doing amazingly well in the UK at the moment. They achieved their highest ever monthly sales figures in the UK in September 2021, passing the 5,000 registrations mark for the first time ever. That's an increase in sales of over 62% year to date. And in an industry that's contracting, they are continuing to invest in brand new models and brand new forecourts, brand new dealerships as their expansion across the UK continues. So we'll keep you up to date with what's happening at MG Motor here on the MG Car Club podcast. We'll also keep you up to date, of course, with what we've got in the MG Car Club shop. And it's kind of getting near that time when you start to have to think about gifts. I don't say the C word. I won't say it yet, but you know what I mean. And we've got some good ones for you in the MG Car Club shop at the moment. We've got the MG Retro Weekend Bag, a spacious weekend bag in three colour combinations. It's got this lovely retro style to it and it's embroidered with the MG logo in red. Perfect gift that, as is the brand new MG Classic Navy Polo shirts. Top quality stuff this and superb in its regular fit. Uh, These MG Polo shirts have three buttons on the front, side slits and contrasting neck tapes. And they've got stitch eyelets in the armpit, flat lock seams and they've got colour contrasting stripes. Check them out on the website. You can see them all there, shop.mgcc.co.uk. They're available to order now. And if you are giving them as a gift, the best way to finish the whole package off 
is with our MG wrapping paper. There's wrapping paper for older MGs or even newer MGs. And it's a bespoke design that you can only get through the MG Car Club. You can find it all via the weekly newsletter, of course. Just follow the links from there. Or, of course, you can go online to shop.mgcc.co.uk. Now, let's meet our guest for this week's podcast. We're going overseas to America and to Ian Fisher and his MGB restoration with a difference. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centers and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Well, the beauty of the MG Car Club podcast is that we get to talk to people from around the world, members from any country in the world of the MG family. And joining me now is Ian Fisher. Hi, Ian. Hi, how are you? Brilliant, thanks. Tell us where we're talking to you in the world at the moment. You're originally from Oklahoma, uh, aren't you? But uh, you're talking to us from uh, from where in America at the moment? I'm currently in Joplin, Missouri. And you're there because you're at college there. Correct. Generally, don't start an interview by asking how old someone is, but it's an important part of the story. How old are you, Ian? I'm 17. You are our official, now, youngest interviewee on the MG Car Club podcast, I have to say. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) by some distance, I believe. So, it's great to have you on. Thank you. It's great to hear of someone who is so passionate about MGs at such a young age and kind of weaving major projects in and around your college work because you are doing something pretty hefty to an MGB, aren't you? So um, tell us about your MGB. It was, it, it's was, it been a bit of a project. It needs some help. So I have a 74 MGB. Um, it was originally in a kind of a dark yellow color. Um, but I'm currently working on swapping subframes, drivetrain, and engine from a 94 Miata into it. Now, we would know that car as the Mazda MX-5 here in the UK. It's uh, fairly common as a conversion into MGBs. We've seen a few of them around the club. What's the attraction of that engine for you? So for me, it was a similar size, so I wouldn't have to worry about cutting a bunch of stuff. Um or trying to really squeeze it in there. Um, It was also just, to me, um, it it seemed simpler in my mind than trying to source uh, an an OEM engine, OEM quotes, and uh, uh, or finding a more expensive engine that was a crate motor. So that was my attractiveness. And I'm also taking all the wiring from it. So because it's a similar size, it, it seemed appealing to me because it would be somewhat easier. And there's quite as an indirect link with the MGB. And, and what I suspect you'll find is when you start dropping that engine in, you'll be amazed at how many things actually line up. Because, of course, famously, Mazda bought a whole bunch of British sports cars, the MGB amongst them, took them back to Japan and used them 
as the development uh, inspiration, really, for the MX-5. They wanted to create a car that was the best of all of the British sports cars out there, improved for the late 1980s. And it's incredible to find out just how many bolts line up and things look like they should have matched in the first place when you when you come to compare the two. Um, and, of course, it was MG's recognition of what Mazda had achieved with that car that, of course, led us to the MGF arriving in the 1990s. But, uh, Ian, going back just for a moment way before all of this, where does this passion and interest in MGs come from? So, honestly, I had never even heard of MGs um, two years ago. I, I really was just looking for any sort of project car or project that I could get my hands in and get it on not too expensive um that I could just get my foot in the door really and uh I kind of put I kind of kicked the door open with this um because it was such a hefty project um but I I saw it on Facebook marketplace and I went and looked at it and I was just like man this is a sweet car like I've seen some cool cars and you know but I was like, this could be a really sweet car for me, not like a car that I like that's like I'm never going to attain, but a car that I could actually have. Um, so I, I saw it and I was like, yeah, I'll I'll do it. And that was probably a not great choice, at least for this specific MG on my part, because there I've seen now that I bought it, I've seen tons and tons for more more money, but with uh leaps and bounds of more frame and other things <laughs> that are slightly vital to a car. Well, we know, uh, we know American imports here in the UK often come over because they are so rust-free, but they usually come from the West Coast of America, from places like California and places where yeah. it never rains. But, yeah, it, it, America is such a vast country with so many different weather systems. I'm guessing where you are, probably, and where that car has lived for a little while, it, it probably gets the sort of weather it would do here in the UK. Yep, it is, uh, it is quite rainy um, and... It didn't help this this car did not have uh the top on when it was stored so oh. yeah it definitely saw the worst of it <laughs> well it's brilliant that you've taken it upon yourself ian at this age and this point in your life where to be honest most lads would probably be coming home from college and getting straight down the nightclubs or whatever uh that you put this time and dedication into this was it the attraction of this car then over something more modern that you really could wield spanners at it and it wasn't full of computers and electrics then um so for me um when i was thinking about what to work on i was always thinking about something older because um it would be simpler for me to work on, like you said, um, just because that's, I mean, I figured if I wanted to start something, I should probably start, you know, closer to the beginning, which I mean, I can't really get to the beginning, but I can get closer than I would be to um, a more modern car that would have a lot more going on than what I've got now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of my thinking behind it. Well, it's great to see that uh, an MG will be living on, albeit with a different engine in it, because of your efforts. So talk us through where you're up to now. So you, you bought the car, you've dragged it home, you're now studying just how many rot holes and problems are in the body and uh, various other important bits. So where do you start? 
Um, so I, my first start was to uh, get everything out of the car. So initially when I bought the car, the person that I bought it from, um, he told me that he had bought this car and was planning on restoring it with his wife. Um, that did not end up happening. He told me that the last time he was working on it, the engine also spun over. Um, so my initial my initial starts were to just diagnose the engine and see what we, what we could do to get it running. Um, so we, uh, me and my buddy, um, we we went through the engine. Um, we tried to just spin the crank bolt to see if we could get it to to move at all, and uh, we we couldn't get it to move. So we took it out and started taking it apart, and uh, we realized that. Uh, piston number two was completely seized to the wall. Um, so after that, it was really just rip everything I can out of the car, which sounds very violent. And it kind of was at some <laughs> points. Um, so it was just get everything out of the car that I could um, try and find replacements for what I can't find up or for what I can and upgrades for what I can't. Um, so at this point, because I'm at college, I had, um, I actually found, which was really surprising to me, I actually found floor pans for my model year on Amazon, of all things, which to me was very surprising because I was not expecting, to, I was expecting to have to buy some, some from some company. Um, and I found them on Amazon, so I ordered them and I cut out the old floor pans and I welded in the new ones. Um, I'm working on, um, my Mazda engine is about three quarters of the way rebuilt. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. I have a lot of the stuff to put the car together. I just don't have it together. And there's a lot more patchwork and body work and stuff to do before that can happen. Mm -hmm. Are you planning to do anything with the brake system to cope with, that extra pep that you might get from that Mazda engine? Yeah, so um, with swapping the subframes from the Miata in, I'll have the brakes from the Miata and I'll have the, the, the strut and shock suspension on all four corners instead of right. that, um, I don't know what the name for it is, honestly. Whatever suspension system the, the MG originally had, it'll have shocks instead so that to me was also another attractive upgrade that for me seemed to be easier than trying to source parts for the slightly outdated suspension setup that the mg had sure there's going to be a fair amount of fabrication work involved in this i mean i guess you uh, you've obviously feel like you've got the skills to do all of the sort of metal uh, bending and welding and all the rest of it or, or are those things you having to learn along the way so yeah, a lot of it is a, lear a learning process. Um, I did realize that there was gonna be a lot of fabrication. Um, so I've got um, a welder um, and I've got I, uh, obviously ideas on how I can make it work. I know that there's gonna be uh, some frame chopping at least a little bit. Um, and hopefully that will go pretty smoothly. Um, because I'm in college, there's not a lot I can do at the moment. So 
it's mostly just trying to get through school and trying to get it done and do little by little. I'm sure during summer I'll have more time. Um, but I'm also, when I left for college, my parents moved out of the house we were living in. So that, that kind of nixed me out of my garage. So I built myself a shed and stuck all my car parts in there. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyone who's moved house halfway through a restoration project knows the pain of that. And there are parts that you will never see again. I'm sure they were in a box somewhere, but that box never seems to reappear. I've done it. I've felt the pain. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was no fun, I have to say. So uh, you'll go back enough to find out where you left everything. <laughs> Tell us what the next stages are now then with the restoration. So what's what's in the immediate next bit on the list? So um, I've got all of the wiring from the MG out. And I've got kind of a race style ignition system that I can that I'm going to need to wire in eventually. I'll probably end up wiring it in before I actually get the car put all the way together just so that it's ready to go and I can kind of just pop this in here, pop that out there, you know. And uh, I've got – so I've I before I left for college, I pretty much had saved up enough money to buy all the parts that I had picked out for the car. So mostly it's just I need to figure out how to do that um, retrofit and what to do to modify the subframes to get them in the car. Looking at some of the other Mazda engine transplants that have happened before, we'll give you a template to that, but uh, ultimately, you have to swap the full subframe over with the suspension and everything else. There's gonna be a lot of designing it as you go, I guess. Yeah, for sure. You came to us here on the MG Car Club podcast because you are part of a wider community of uh, young MG enthusiasts in North America. Uh, tell us about the scene over there and who else is doing this kind of stuff and what your mates think of it. Or do they all think you're mad? And how many of the people are you able to connect with? So personally, I have not connected with a ton of people. Um, there is one um younger guy he's in our group on facebook um and he lives in canada um i talked to him a little bit because he he seemed to to be pretty interested in my project as as was i for his and uh he uh he's probably the person that i've talked to the most and i've just kind of bounced ideas off of him and asked him how his car is going because he's driving it and i wish i was um <laughs> but as far as other people and my friends what they think of it um my buddy owen hansloven he he owns a chevy c10 and so i kind of was like i kind of looked at his car and i was like man you're way farther along than i am um but I think he's in the stage now where it's just a little thing here, a little thing there. And I, I have to personally say I'm not really excited to be in that stage because I won't want to be there <laughs> because it's like this car is so close to being ready, but it's not yet. Um, but a lot of my friends think it's really cool. Um, I actually posted a picture of my car on my Instagram and one of my friends thought thought it was right hand drive which i had to 
bear the news sadly it is not right hand drive <laughs> um but it's a pretty it's a pretty sweet project and and a lot of my peers and and other people have showed their admiration for it it's unusual as well because as you're talking there i realize you know you've got access to all of those what we would call the american greats you know the american classics and you've gone for the plucky little British sports car. And I, I mean, I'm guessing that you're going to keep the manual stick shift in there as well and, and enjoy all of the things a British sports car brings you. Yeah. So I personally, there's there's a couple American, American cars that I, I really like. Like my mom has always liked the Mustang. She, she used to have a Mustang um, and then she got rid of it. But I... I, the Mustang is like the car that I like the most out of American cars. Um, but I, I drive um, a BMW daily. So that's, that's kind of my thing. I was like, I want something European and I know it's not, I mean, Germany versus, versus the UK is a little bit different. Um, but the, uh, the appeal to me to have something foreign was cooler and more interesting to me than, having something from America. So that was kind of my thought process. And it was also just not everybody has one of these. And I mean, yeah, they're still around, but they're not as common as seeing some of the older American muscle or American trucks souped up. You wouldn't see that an MG souped up like you would an American muscle car or something like that. No, oh, great. Well, it's great to see that uh, the MG name lives on across in the states and of course in period it was an absolutely essential market for mg in fact the vast majority of cars that were built at abingdon were shipped across to the united states of america and sold in that market it was absolutely crucial that every mg that was launched appealed to the american market because ultimately in the 50s 60s and to some extent the 70s that was where you sold your cars that would make or break a new model here in the uk so uh yeah it's great that so many of them survive over there and that uh, there's an increasing passion for them amongst young people as well and what do you think it is that the classic car movement as a whole needs to do to get more guys like you in at the age of 17 to start restoring and rebuilding classic british cars well i can tell you one thing that i thought right off the bat was uh put a tarp on your car um you wouldn't think it would do that much but it probably does more than you think take it off every once in a while maybe drive it around keep the maintenance up on it um but really i I just think that like showing these things to people kind of like for me it like lit a spark in me it was just like this is something that i can do and then i have it's like this risk reward thing like yeah i'm buying this car and risking or whatever but i get to have eventually this great reward of having this cool car and i think a lot of it is um some people some people are more like classic oriented and some people just want the newest thing right and i think that's pretty pretty normal with a lot of things um but the people who like the classics are going to keep liking the classics and there's going to be people I mean, younger than me that are going to like the classics, Mm -hmm. but they may never be able to see it. We live in a world where you're almost felt 
made to feel guilty or certainly you are uh, seeing the media messaging into the general public that we should feel guilty about owning and restoring and driving old cars. Is that something that you feel amongst your peers? Is there a generation here that actually don't approve of the motor car? And how do we educate younger generations, do you think, that actually historic vehicles like the one you're lavishing so much love and passion on actually don't are not part of the problem? They don't make any difference, really, to our duties to reduce our carbon output and to look after the planet if they were all to disappear because there are so few of them and they travel so little mileage. What have we got to do to get that message across to young people do you think and actually do you think young people are disapproving of historic vehicles so i don't think at least for the the limited spread of people that i know i don't think there's anybody really that disapproves of it i think that there's people that don't really understand it and um my mom works in oil and gas so that's kind of I'm slightly biased you could say um but I, I think that people don't really understand what all these different things mean. And um, I think one thing for me that kind of has, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like made me think about it more, but it made me, um, it made me like want to do it quicker um, was an act. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's passed, but it's called the EPA act. And I don't know if that's something that's happening over where you are, um, but it's basically like preventing everybody and anybody in any shops or anything from from modifying cars from stock. And I think that is something that's just like, for me, that's something that I would never want to happen. Because if everybody's driving the same generic car, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it gets you from point A to B, but that car can't express you mm-hmm. how you are. So I don't think there's like in my small circle of people that I know, I don't think that there's people that are really against it. I think that there's people that don't understand it and they don't know really what's going on. So it's a process of education then really and to reach out to the general public, show them what we do, what we're about, and also to explain the actual facts of the impact of classic cars on the environment, which is very simply that we don't really have an impact on the environment. We are so few in number and travel so little miles and our cars have paid their dues in sense of the amount of energy and raw materials and output that was expelled when they were built has long since been paid back by their usage. So, uh, you know, the only way we're going to cure the problems our world has is to reduce consumption and to recycle old cars and keep them going and not to waste those precious materials that they're made of has surely got to be part of the answer. So, uh, yeah, education around the world seems like it's the answer. An interesting point there you make about the uh, legislation against modifying vehicles luckily thanks to the fbhvc that we have here in the uk the federation of uh, british historic vehicle clubs they are a lobbying group that fight for 
various different uh, rights, if you like, uh, for historic vehicle owners to use and enjoy their cars on the road here in the UK. And uh, they have defended our ability to modify classics. You are allowed to run a classic car here with modifications. Sometimes you aren't allowed to register them as historic or get age-related number plates for them. It's all on a point system with the DVLA as to how many bits of the original car um are still intact so you know you get x number of points for the rear axle or the engine or whatever but i know in some european countries i think germany in particular you simply are not allowed to modify historic vehicles from stock you have to keep them as they came out the factory um, and they're also limited on mileage as well so certainly something we wouldn't want to see rolled out across the world so uh, i guess ian what you need to do is run uh, 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 round up all of your mates and uh, protest and make noise and make sure those sorts of legislations and laws don't come into force for sure definitely finally uh what are your visions for when you've completed this fantastic project you've got your mgb complete it's sat there with its mazda engine running away nicely what do you want to do with it what are your dreams and ambitions so uh i've brought the couple the topic up a couple times to my dad um i think it would be really fun to race it and if there's any classic car circuits or anything like that um obviously that's kind of a controversial topic with my with my parents um just because of the risk involved. Um, but honestly, I, I just love to keep it going and keep it keep it alive and healthy. Um, I, I do have plans to, to put a bunch of sport-related things into the car um, without racing it, but I'd really, I'd really love to race it. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing about your first formation on the first grid at your first race. <laughs> it'll be it'll be something to behold. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, with the engine modifications, that might be difficult because of all the regulations that will surround various historic uh, championships that you might be able to enter. But uh, yeah, perhaps there's like a mod sports thing out there. I, I don't know. There'll be it might be a local mod sports where you can use modified sports cars and race them if you do that you'll have to come back and tell us all about it and uh, tell us how you get on with the project but um have you got a blog or or some kind of social media channel we can go to to keep an update on progress with your mg yeah i do i have an instagram um it is ian flash i-a-n-f-l-a-s-c-h We'll link to that in the podcast description part of the podcast page at mgpodcast.uk as well. And uh, and I'm guessing you're not having any problems. You mentioned the bits you'd found on Amazon there. And generally, MG Parts Supply in the state seems to be pretty healthy and pretty good. Yeah, it's not. It's honestly not as bad as I thought it was. Um, obviously, I'm not really buying um, at this point if I buy MG stuff, it's going to have to be like MG body stuff. So because of my switching to the Miata and everything, it's actually made it significantly easier to find parts because I just find what would fit a Miata or what would plug into a Miata because Miata headlights are the same. Miata taillights aren't the same, but I'm going to have to to, um, buy MG taillights and retrofit them to work with the, with the wiring. But as, as of yet, I have not had a, a very, very hard time finding parts. Brilliant. Well, we look forward to seeing more progress on those Instagram channels of yours. And uh, Ian Fisher, thanks for joining us here on the MG Car Club podcast. 
Thanks for inviting me. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.